Well, good morning, church. Um, and side note, if you didn't catch that, um, Clayton's last name is Fraley. Um, we hired his wife, Jordan Fraley, a few months ago as our children's director. So we just thought we'd put all of our eggs in the Fraley basket. And so if everything implodes, just blame them. So just kidding. We love them. But uh, no, it's actually really fun because, um, you know, as we've gone through this process, it just became clear that, you know, as we continue to develop our children's ministry and our youth ministry, um, that God just highlighted them and it just, it worked out. And so we're so excited about that. We're actually kicking that off today. Um, for anyone in the room that's new or that has youth or thinking about it, just, you know, we've kind of got a new rhythm that we're doing. And so you'll be seeing the youth. So that's for us. That's fifth through eighth graders are junior high, ninth through 12th graders are senior high. And they'll actually be joining us every Sunday morning during worship. So if you see an area blocked off that says youth only, you have to be the youth to sit there. So don't be that guy that moves their place card, okay? So they're going to come worship with us, and then they've got some age-specific teaching and stuff they're doing. But we're really excited about that. And so if you know any youth in the town, they're just walking around the skate park, just say, hey, dude, what are you doing Sunday morning? And pick them up and bring them here, all right? Amen, amen. You can actually do that, just so you know. Um, you might talk to the parents first before you just pick them up in the car. <laughs> that might go well for you. All right, well, hey, this morning we're going to continue our series on the church. We're in week four, and I'm not really going to quiz you, so I'm just going to tell you. Week one, we talked about the body of Christ. Week two, we talked about the bride of Christ. And last week, we talked about the believers. And instead of giving you a summary, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. All right, so there you go. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about the church is the building. All right, so you guys are like, wait a second, I thought the church is not a building. Just hang with me, we'll get there. And just so you know, I am aware it's the Super Bowl this afternoon, but I don't need to spend my time talking about the Super Bowl. So you can watch it in all of its glory this afternoon, but we're going to talk about the church. Amen? Amen. All right, all right, because I knew some of you guys were thinking, where's the Super Bowl joke, Pastor? You know, like, where's the, where's the fun fact, you know, because probably 95% of pastors around America right now are telling something about Tom Brady or the Chiefs or something and making an analogy to the Bible. I'm just not going to do that today. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about the church, okay? The New Testament word for church is ecclesia. I may be saying that wrong, but that's what it is in the Greek, which means the called out ones. Everybody say the called out ones. The called out ones, okay? Um, so when we come to the New Testament, we discover that Ecclesia is used of the community of God's people some 109 times, all right? So 109 times in the New Testament, you see this Greek word used talking about <clears throat> the church. Now, I want you to understand that kind of it's used in three kind of main ways when you think about the word Ecclesia. The first one uh, is that it's applied to a local assembly of those who profess faith in Jesus. So in the New Testament, it's talking about an assembly of people, a gathering of people who are all professing Christ. They would call that Ecclesia the church. As, uh, another way that it's commonly used is it's designated as a universal church. For instance, in Acts 8 or 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about the church at large, um, uh, and so that is another way. The third way that that word Ecclesia, the church, is used the New Testament is signifying God's congregation, okay? So those are kind of the three main ways. You can go back and study it later. But I give you that context before we jump in today because I want you to know 
that that's the word we're focused on in this series, even though we're going through different metaphors about the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And what's interesting is that, is that the church is explained in so many different ways because it's so unique that when you walk through the scriptures, you know, when it talks about the spirit of God, right, fire and wind and water, and there's different kind of metaphors and illustrations for the spirit of God. It's interesting that in so many ways, there's many metaphors, illustrations about the church. And usually when you are describing something in many different ways, that means it's really important, right? So just in case you didn't understand, the church is really important. It's important to God's heart. It's, it's a focal point in the New Testament. Now, let's go back to the beginnings of the church, okay? So the church was birthed in Jerusalem. So that's the birthplace of the church, and it's in the book of Acts, and you may be familiar with this passage. In Acts chapter 2, I'm just going to read verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Notice it says, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So there was, a, there was in the New Testament church, this is again 50 days after Christ's death and resurrection was Pentecost. And in Jerusalem, a day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came. If you remember the story, if you haven't read it it's, 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 it's a good one, because tongues of fire come in from all over, and they come to send upon a group of people who are praying and worshiping, just like probably we were doing, singing Yahweh and Adonai and just giving God praise. Next thing you know, the Spirit of God shows up, and they were there doing that in this place, because Jesus, before he left planet Earth, after his resurrection, and went up to heaven. He said, hey, guys, I'm leaving you. They all kind of the momentary freak out. You remember that moment? And then he said, hey, it's going to be okay because we're going to send the helper. I'm going to send the spirit. He's going to come, so be okay. So they're in this in-between time, right? So just think about this for a second. So, like, they're in this kind of in-between days and weeks here where they're like, hey, he said the spirit's coming, but it's Wednesday. He's not here yet. And we're, still being, and we're still being persecuted. Like there's stuff happening against us. Like, Jesus, we, we hung with you, man, but, where, but where's the spirit? So what I love about the birth of the church is that when it is birthed, it is, it is not their doing. They simply are obeying the last thing they heard Jesus say, which was to wait, but stay focused, stay faithful, and I will fulfill my promise. Sometimes, guys, we need to not be looking for the next thing God's saying, but actually just obeying the last thing he said. Right? We're always looking for the new. What about the old? Right? Like, hey, did you hear about this new leadership book? Well, did you read the other one? Because it just says the same thing four different ways so they can sell you a book again. Yeah, I mean, let, let's just be honest, right? There's actually not all these new ways. It's like, no, no, there's actually an old way that if we would actually supply those Oh my gosh, we don't have to have a new way. Do you understand me? So here, the, here these believers are. The day of Pentecost comes. The Spirit of God comes, um, distributes tongues of fire. It's a crazy story. Then they start speaking different languages that they didn't know. They didn't have Rosetta Stone, okay, or whatever. So they start speaking these languages. People come from the surrounding area in Jerusalem because it's kind of loud. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, crazy. And so then people come, and it says that day over 3,000 people repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then they had to figure out what to do with 3,000 plus people. And they said, hey, well, let's start meeting in homes. 
Let's start some small groups and hey, but we need to gather over the temple courts over there. We're not allowed inside the temple, right? Because it's only the priestly thing with the Jews. We can gather in kind of the, it'd be like the main centerpiece of town, right? It'd be like this kind of downtown area outside the temple. Hey, let's gather there and fellowship and connect with each other, right? So just to fast forward, when you think about their church today, the reason why there's an admonition for small groups or meeting in homes or, as we call them, life groups, is because biblically that's how the church started. But, it didn't, it, but they didn't do only house churches, only life groups. They still found a way to gather outside of the home. We don't know the size of that group. I'm not saying it was 3,000 people at the temple courts. We don't know. But we know that there's an admonition to be together in homes and then to gather outside of the home. Does it make any sense? Um, and so just keep that in mind as we journey through today. Now, historically, people may use the word church, not in this New Testament way, but to describe a building, right? That's very common in our language. And I was doing a little history because I like that kind of stuff. And um, I found out that in Syria, that the first discovered kind of church building designated as a house of worship church building they believe it was built in the 230s, so 230 A.D., located in Syria. It's called the Dura Europos Church, if you want to look it up. And so that was there. So like the first building, so we have the New Testament church happening, right? And then about 200 years later, we see this church building thing start to happen, which means we're led to believe, and of course we don't know, the people simply are meeting in homes and then in outdoor spaces, and then in 313 A.D., something significant happened, if you don't remember, but the Emperor Constantine for the Roman Empire issued what's known as the Edict of Milan. And that's in 313 A.D., which granted Christianity legal rights. So coming up on 300 years, give or take, after Jesus left, now Christianity, these people who are following Christ, now it was given legal rights. Well, we go through this kind of like Dark Ages period, and really is, they call it the Dark Ages because we don't know a whole lot about it. And then you get to the 11th and 14th century, and you start seeing these cathedral buildings, these ginormous buildings built across Europe, right? Eastern and Western Europe, you start seeing these huge things that even if we go today and we travel, it's like, look at this beautiful architecture. These massive buildings were then built so that then people could come and to worship. Now let's fast forward to America, right? I'm just giving you a little church history here and this all makes sense. Um, in America, the first church building, built building, what we know of is built in the 1500s down in Florida, New Mexico by the Spaniards. But then in Jamestown, Virginia in 1639, that is known as the first church built by the early colonists, all right? So you want to go see the first church building used uh, exclusively for those purposes that's what it was built in Jamestown. Now, according to the National Congregational Study, there's an estimated 380,000 churches in the U.S. meeting in a variety of spaces. So let's just call it south of 400,000 churches, part of all sorts of denominations, right? So that was taken from a couple years ago. I don't know where that is today, but roughly 380,000. So when we think about church and when Americans think about church, when we talk about church, Many people do talk about it being a building, right? We represent, hey, you're going to go to the church building. You're going to go to the church service. We're going to use that many times talking about the building. And so today's message, as I unpack it, where we're going to go is just to give clarity and context 
to this idea of the church being a building, but of course, we are not talking about it being a physical, a physical building. And I think that in 2020, it brought about many significant changes to even the meeting rhythms, right, and the gathering spaces of the church, right? M- many churches did outdoor church for the first time. They maybe found a big tree or put up a big tent. They had did the outdoor church thing because of COVID or whatever. Many churches went to streaming and online, right? Um, people had to kind of shift up. Well, what are they doing? And, 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 and in 2020, a beautiful um, result of 2020 is that it forced people, individual believers, church staffs, leaders, to really take a step back and say, what, what is church? Because I thought church was 9 a.m., children's ministry program, Bible study Wednesday night, I'm part of this committee, I tithe this money, and I do it again. Like, I thought that's what church was, that I was part of an organization, just like I'm part of some other organization in town. I thought that maybe that's what it was. And so people kind of got rattled this year, right? Leaders got rattled this year. Right? Church members got rattled. And so people are like, well, hold on a second. Like, wait, if you're going to take this away, well, what does that mean? You know, like, what if we can't meet and do it this way? What if it doesn't look like this? What about this? So people started scrambling. And what was fascinating was to see all the insecurities come to the surface for Christians in our country. I mean, if you weren't, if you didn't have insecurities a year, I don't know what you were doing. But something bubbled up and all of us was like, Whoa, this is a little, I wasn't planning for this one when I was writing my journal, my 2020 goals, right? It's like January 1st, you're like, God, what am I going to do this year? You know, no one got that, okay? I know you didn't, no matter how prophetic you are. You didn't get everything's going to happen. And so it shook us, right? And so here we are, though. Now we're talking about the church, and again, our desire is to get clarity as a people as to what is the church? Who are we really and what are we called to do and who are we called to be? Now, in 2021, um, of course, when I say the church is a building, I'm not referring to these buildings in Europe. You know, it's I, was, I came across this Wall Street Journal article about churches across Europe. And um, what's interesting uh, and, and sad in some ways is that many of these church buildings some countries it's 10 to 20 years, some it's 30 to 40 a year that have been happening for the last 15 years. But they're converting them into bars, restaurants, skate parks. I saw one in, uh, in the Netherlands, and there's like a skate park. There are all these ramps inside, like down, the, down this cathedral. And you're thinking, wow, like this is, and, and they're doing that because their membership is so low, they can't afford to pay the taxes on them or or it's the, the whole church, this congregation just dissolved. There's no bishop or priest there or whatever. And so now they're just trying to sell these things to the city or some organization. Um, I even saw one that it was a, um, uh, it was a take on a, uh, on a Frankenstein bar. And so I was like, well, that, that's interesting. That's probably not what they had in mind uh, when, when they built that building. Um, but, you know, when you look at these buildings and people can even get up in arms in it, it's like, well, hold on a second. These are beautiful buildings that had an intentionality to them. But yet, the buildings are just beautiful buildings made of stone. Um, But that's it. There's no people. 
right? Because, um, because remember, God's intent is to dwell with his people, not just to hang out in a beautiful building. And so when we talk about the church, we've got to remember it's talking about the people. It's the assembly. It's the gathering. You know, I was thinking about um, just construction. We think about building. Uh, I know there's more details into this, but um, in my limited knowledge of construction, there are plans, there are materials, and, there are, and there's labor, right? So you kind of come to the basics. And so a set of plans would be blueprints or drawings, right? And so when you have a set of plans, you actually have to adhere to them. And it's not just one person, typically on a construction job, let's say you're building a house, you have the builder, the general contractor, he has a set of plans, and then he goes and finds subcontractors, people that are very capable, your plumbers, your electricians, your mechanical guys, your flooring guys, your countertop guys, your painters, all the subs, he finds them, and he says, hey, here's the plans, I want you to give me a bid on this plan, and can you do this, can you do this, and do you have the credentials to do it, not just, I think painting's fun, have you actually painted, you know? You, you, you don't, you don't want to hire a guy who's like, I think electrical stuff's cool. I mean, I haven't done any of it, but that sounds great. Like, you don't, you don't actually want that guy doing electrical work, just so you know. Um, and so you have these plans, and you show them to everybody, and then you pick your team of subcontractors, right? And then it's the general contractor's job to work with the subcontractors and then order all the materials needed for the job. The framers, lumber, the nails, and so on and so forth, right? So this is how a typical job goes. But you may or may not know this, but in construction, whether it's residential or commercial, there's something known as an eighth-inch tolerance, meaning that when you are framing up a house, it's okay for you to be off one-eighth of an inch. One-eighth. Everyone show me one-eighth. You can't really because it's just like, it's almost like your fingers are together. One-eighth of an inch tolerance, that's actually like a standard in the construction framing world, which means if you've got a room that's 20 feet, 4 inches, you can be at 23, 20 feet, 3, and 7 eighths. And it's like, woo, that's, that's kind of tight. So you want to make sure that Bob and Billy are both holding the tape measure accurately, <laughs> right? Because if not, you've got problems. And so what happens, what happens if they go beyond an eighth of an inch? What happens if... It's a 200-foot room, let's say something like this, and they measure this, and they put this room in, and then they measure off, and then they put this room. What happens on the end if it's not, uh-oh, now we're talking six inches or a foot? Well, that may not be a big deal, but it is if you have a toilet on that side of the building that needs to have access, a.k.a. my own house. And so when they did it, we were just a little bit off that I didn't catch it, and so now my children in one of their bathrooms has a toilet that is so confined in this space, I literally could not even put a door on the toilet. So now they have to go to the restroom in that. You ever been to my house? And there, there's no door. Because we literally couldn't get the toilet in and then get the door to close. On the plans, though, it showed it could close. But that guy, who will be unnamed today, did not frame it right. And so now, I literally, we literally put a toilet in like the elongated kind, you know what I'm talking about? The elongated toilets, right? The one everybody likes, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, but if you buy a house from the 50s, what are you getting? The little tiny circular one that's good for potty training, okay? And so guess what? I had to swap out the nice elongated one for the 1950s, okay? So let me just tell you, it matters that you stick to the plans, right? So let's talk about the building, right? Kind of go through my little metaphor here for a minute. If the plans are the word of God, if you're an eighth of an inch, a quarter, half inch off, and you think, oh, it's not a big deal, 
Like, like I, I can obey this mostly, but I don't have to do all of it. Because there's a tolerance there called grace, right? That, that means I can kind of do a little bit, but not. And it'll be okay in the end. Yeah, and then you go down the line, you realize, uh-oh, we got nowhere to go to the bathroom. <laughs> right? Like, uh-oh, wait a second. This actually has now had a ripple effect. My slight disobedience or my tolerance called grace is now actually having a ripple effect that's now going to affect the whole plan. So the word of God is our plans, right? But then it's not just, hey, it's not like he wanted Isaiah and John, everyone to write stuff down just so they could just feel good about themselves. It was so that others could read it and apply it to their lives. And so if we have the word of God as our plans, but then when you talk about the labor side, the people, you talk about the materials we're bringing to the table, the giftings and the skill sets that God's given us, those raw giftings, if we don't apply it to the plans directly and in order, it will never get built. Just so you know, um, in construction, if, if, if you do not have the plumber put in the pipes before the concrete goes in, you got a big problem. I just say, man, look at that concrete slab. Yeah, where's all the water going to go? I, I don't know. Shoot. You know, I mean, just you do not want to get out of order in construction because it is costly. Therefore, when it comes to the word of God, there is an order to things. There's an order to the house of worship. There's an orderness to how you gather and how you are the church and how we are as a people. There is an authority, number one, that goes to Jesus, a submission to him. That you, you can't have rogue people on the job site just wanting to do their own thing. You actually have to give way. It's like the plumber wants to get his job done the same time as the electrician, but you know they got to work it out. And you know when they can't work it out because they both fight each other and they're both just trying to make their dollars, who has to step in? The GC. It's like, hey, quiet. You go first. Take your lunch break. We'll see you at two. That's why you have a general contractor. Somebody has to be the third party to step in and say, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to fight. We've got to get this thing built. So get over yourself, get over yourself, and build it like I said. But in the church, we don't like that. Get over yourself. What would you say to me? <laughs> what if your boss says to you, though, at your secular job, hey, that's actually not going to work. Change it. You're going to cry in front of him? Because you'll be fired. Let's be honest. I didn't, I didn't mean to make the coffee like that. I was so sorry. What are you doing? Leave. It's like, oh my gosh. But in the church, we're okay with squabbling and fighting. Uh-uh. That's not how you get it built. That's not how church gets built, y'all. This church ain't going to be built like that anymore. So where we're going to go today is we're going to talk about what does the word of God say about how this thing needs to be built. Not my idea or your idea. I don't really care about your idea. I don't really care about my idea. If my ideas are not aligning with this, there's a problem, right? It's like even when Christians shared our own initiative, if it's not aligning with the scripture, there's a problem. It totally aligns, and I could spend hours with you talking about how it does. But we are not going to do things out of alignment with the word of God. All right, you guys ready to buckle up? Okay, so here we go. Hopefully you're going to get into construction and understand all this stuff. It'll make sense to you. All right, here we go. So the church is not a building in the normal sense. Obviously, hopefully that has been established for you. Um, so let's talk about why is the church really being built? 
Like, why does it matter that the church is built? Let's talk about that. Well, John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Oh, that's good news. He's not temporary. He's not on loan. The Spirit of God is with you. When you receive Jesus, he's with you, and then forever, forever. That is so, such great news. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus says to them, I'm going to send you the helper. And he says this, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Dwelling with you and being in you. To me, that implies an internal, external. It is the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God amongst us. Do you see? Go back to the day of Pentecost. People prank. Spirit of God came upon each of them, in them, right? But then the Spirit of God dwelt because how else are you going to get a guy like Peter to stand up and everyone's like, what must we do? And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of your sins. And 3,000 people, all sorts of personality types and different dialects and stuff are like, okay. I mean, that ain't happening because Peter's a great orator, that's the Spirit of God on display. I did not know what was going on, but you better believe I was going to be on two knees repenting. Yes, sir! I mean, in that moment, the Spirit of God shows up like that. You're not like, I don't know, like this Peter guy. He's a little scruffy there. You know, it's like, no, it's like the Spirit of God is there, and it's going to boom, and it's, whoa, this is God. This is the one we've been waiting for. I'm in. See, when the Spirit of God shows up, it's not like, oh, I mean, it, it's thick. Is thick. So, she, so, so Jesus shares with us that the Spirit of God dwelling with you and in you pens back to the church, or he was speaking forward of what was going to happen in Acts 2. Um, you know, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, if you repented, then he says, I promise to give you the Spirit. It's not just salvation. It's not just relation with Christ. He then gives us the Spirit of God because you can't, I think many of us know this, but to be reminded of, you can't really follow God apart from the Spirit of God. You, you can try religiously. That's what a lot of people do. Those are called world religions. That, that they try to follow a set of good principles and laws and things that have been in place by man, and they try to adhere to them so their good outweighs their bad, and then in the end, maybe things will go their way. But, but that's, that, that's called religion. And when we talk about the church, um, we, we're talking about relationship. And there's a big difference, because religion, you could adhere to things but have a cold heart which is what Jesus called out the Pharisees on, who were very, I mean, anyone you've met today probably doesn't compare to a Pharisee in the nth degree. I mean, we're talking about the number of things they memorized to do from the washing of hands to everything they did to the kind of stuff they put in their beard, I mean, to the, to the protocols of each day. I mean, they were fanatics. They were not to be trifled with. They were committed committed, I mean, to their core. And, and yet Jesus said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. <laughs> the external looks so good, but the inside is dying. 
And the Spirit of God is what brings, brings life, right? It's what brings life. It's what, it's what brings us together. We don't all look very good. I mean, just put us all together. I mean, you know, we're kind of a ragtag crew. But to God, with the blood of Jesus on us, the Spirit of God, he's like, man, you guys look great. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how you look handsome. The Spirit of God. Now you're looking good, right? So these called out ones, talking about the church, but I, I, I want to highlight a couple of passages for us. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, you've got your Bibles, you can go there. But in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 5 through 9, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul saying that, Apollos, this other uh, leader, he watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's filled, God's building. You are God's filled, God's building. Um, I want to highlight three things for you. First, the emphasis is not on who does what. Right? Like, that's not actually the focus. Going back to construction, um, some subcontractors are licensed and have to go through more skills training than others. Um, subcontractors are not all paid equally, equally. Do you know that? What a framer makes is different than what a plumber makes, than what an electrician makes, than what a countertop guy. They all make actually different amounts of money. Do you know that? But they're all putting in sweat equity and work into the house. But they're not all paid the same. Their skill sets are not all the same, but they're all needed. Do you get me? So therefore, if you don't have one party participating, the whole thing doesn't come together. But it actually takes like 20 plus subs to pull that off, to actually build that house that all have unique skill sets and giftings. So here, the emphasis is not on who does what, but the emphasis is on the fact that they are assigned from the Lord. So let's go back for a minute. Let's take Jesus as the king, the general contractor. He's the one heading up. This is his building. Like, this is his church. This is him. We all play a role, including myself. We all have, are being assigned. If you don't know what that is, then we are working towards it as a people, right? That's even part of our own initiative is like, how do we get everybody in our church to own their unique place in his mission? Like, we want everybody to feel like, hey, I'm a part of this, not just a bystander or an attender. Do you understand? Like, that is a big deal for us, because I believe it's a big deal for God that we've missed over the years, and we're trying to figure that out and move forward and say, no, everybody has a part to play. Everybody is important. Everybody matters, and it's different. Just because you get paid more or less, or just because you have this or that or whatever, that's actually not, that's not the issue. Because what brings peace is when we are doing what we were called to do. Not doing things we weren't called to do, but we really want to do. Do you understand? Because usually when you want to do things, you're not called to do them. There's actually a lot of anxiousness and tension. You're actually square peg, round hole. Right? But, but it, it, it'd be like, man, you know, I really want to sing. I use that all the time, but it's just, it's helpful. It's like, I really want to sing. But then we're like, but you don't sing good. <sighs> you know, 
And you're like, I know, but I grew up listening to this and that, and I love to sing. And that's great. And God loves you singing in the shower by yourself. That is awesome. <laughs> but with a microphone, you have to lead people into singing. Your singing's great. But leading people in singing means you have to be able to harmonize. And they need to be able to harmonize with you or else they're going to do this. And you don't want that. And so, we, and so there's, there, there's actually certain people that are, that are more gifted than others to sing. And that has to be okay. okay. Like, just, just sing with us. Like, I'm not up here singing. There's a reason. You know, like, I, I am trying to sing along, and they are leading me to a place to sing so I can glorify God from where I'm coming from. Does that make sense? Like, don't try to be something that you're not. Your, your journey should be discover who you are. Right? Like, don't figure out all the ways you're not. Just say, no, no. Well, God, who am I? And you're going to try things and experiment, and that's okay. And then we say, amen to that. Last week, this is so encouraging. Last week, I'm going to brag on a list over here because I'm seeing her. Um, last week, someone came up to me after the service, and they said, this is my first time here. I loved coming. I said, why would you love coming? They said, you know, from the moment I got in here, this girl, Alyssa, just started talking to me and said hello, and I felt so encouraged and love it. And I was like, so her main reason for loving Antioch this Sunday was not my preaching, or it was actually Billy last week. It wasn't the word. It was like, those are all part of it. It's like, but it's like, but, you know, just, I mean, not to knock Billy Kalen or the rest of us, but it's like, hey, she was like, Alyssa, she felt warm. The spirit of God's on her. It's just friendly. It's like joy. She was like, yes. I'm like, that's why I need her on the host team. Do you understand me? Because that person may have visited, I don't know. I've had this before. People will say, I visited six, seven churches. No one said hello. That's actually real. Like, you could attest to that. Oh, yeah. No one said my name. There was clicks everywhere. It's like, we're trying to disband all those and say, no, 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 everybody's welcome in this place. The second thing I want you to see from that 1 Corinthians 3 passage is this, that the real glory and praise is not heaped upon a person, but upon God. Who cares who waters? Who cares who sows? Who cares of that? Let's give the glory to God. He's the one who makes it grow. The last piece is, um, you know, I believe Paul is saying that he and the other co-laborers in Christ, in this sense, they're the ones bringing the good news. He's talking about himself and Apollos and others. But that the people need to see themselves as part of God's building. It says it. You are God's field, God's building. We are the people receiving the message of hope, the good news, and then we are then built together. But later on in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You may see the words temple and building kind of interchanged in some ways. So let's break this down. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, meaning that, that as a people individually, what we're in control of is me, right? Like you're actually not in control of your spouse or your boyfriend. You're not in control of your roommates or your grandpa, like... Your, your, or your children, oh, I wish we could be. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Just be perfect. You know, just push a button. Um, we're not going to that. But we're told right here, hey, guess what? Your body's a temple, which means if you really do stop and think about that, and you say, hold on a second. I want my body to be something that's going to be reflective of God's image, of his nature, his goodness, his glory. 
if you really stop and think about that, you'll actually change many things about your life. Because what you put into the temple, pointing to the eyes, by the way, really matters. What you put in the temple, your ears, really matters. What you touch is the temple, really matters. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. I'm actually being held accountable day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, for how I treat this temple. That's what I'm being held account to. Not how much someone likes me, or what this organization does, or what happens here in this career. This. You're accountable for this. Everything that comes in, everything that goes out. So when you view life like that, it changes the way you do things. You just, you're just not going to allow things, let me put it this way, to be a little more extreme. Um, you wouldn't want someone to desecrate the temple, would you? Right? Like, you wouldn't, like, I know we're talking about the church, even not as a building, but let's say someone came and tried to burn this place down. I would hope some of you would get frustrated by that. <laughs> I mean, I would. You know, that's okay. And so I would want you to be a little up in arms, like, hey, what? burn our building down, man. You know, I would expect that a little bit. I mean, come on. Um, that's maybe like the fourth piece of the, in the own initiative. You know, just we need to all own it. The thing burns down. Okay, so, but, but I want us to view our bodies in that way. Oh, man, I don't, I don't want stuff to happen. I want this to be good. What comes in, good. What goes out, good. Because I want to be reflective of his nature. Another piece he says in the 619, we have to remember, not only is it the temple, but it's not your own. It's his. He gave it to you. Just like he gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you your body. And my encouragement to you is to um, thank him. Thank him for who you are and how you're built. Don't be angry at him for how you're not. The sooner you realize that the way he made you with the mind you have, the heart you have, the Enneagram you are, whatever all that stuff is, the sooner you wake up and realize that, wait a second, God did this on purpose, <laughs> then you can enjoy life. But until you fully resolve that the way you are made is good, you can't enjoy life. You're depressed. You're anxious. Envy, jealousy, comparison, strife. There's a really, really long list I'm not going to get into. But those all stem back to actually not being okay with who God has called you to be, who he's made you to be. And he's saying, that's me. So if you're loud, be okay with that. If you're quiet, be okay with that. There's a reason. I never knew why God made me so loud. <laughs> but in some ways... I understand a little more now. <laughs> the church is also the body. I want you to see a connection here in 1 Corinthians 3. It describes the entire church in its corporate essence and existence as the temple. Whereas 1 Corinthians 6 speaks to the individual believer as the temple. Meaning this captures the connection between the old and the new. So let me put it this way. Salvation is not merely about the salvation of individuals as individuals. As in, an individual believer's salvation 
It is very important, obviously, but it's incomplete if it does not bring that person into a vital relationship with the corporate people called the church. Let me say it again. An individual's salvation is extremely important. It actually says heaven rejoices, you know, when one sinner repents. It's awesome. But that's not the end goal. You see, um, if, if you believe in Christ, you begin to follow him to then be not connected and part of the fellowship of believers. That's an incomplete picture. It'd be like saying Jesus is all about grace and never referencing truth. He's actually grace and truth. He's actually very loving and the judge. Right? There's something called the judgment seat of Christ. That's like, wait, that's Jesus? I thought he's really nice. He is. We'll get into that another day. But you have to understand that there's these realities that go together. The individual believer walking on their own path by themselves throughout life is not completely obeying what the Word of God teaches us about someone who follows Christ. Jesus could have just recruited one disciple. He didn't. He chose to get a group of them on purpose. So unless you're smarter than Jesus, you should probably just do what he does. Amen? All right, last few verses I want to read here before the band comes up. Um, Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The part I want you to focus on is verse 22. Ephesians 2, 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, the fellow members, we are fellow members of the household of God. It's a really big house. You know that song when you're growing up? It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. That's right. Go and watch it today, okay? But that, it's a big house. Oh, he's building a great house. Actually, says in heaven, he's building a house not made of human hands. It's going to be epic. Whatever castle, chateau, mansion you've ever imagined, it pales. This is the house of all houses, and he is building it for us, this place. But you know what? In heaven, since the glory of God is so present and thick, there's no need for light bulbs. He's just lighting up everything with his glory, right? But then he says, you are, you have the light, right? Like, you have the hope. You are salty. You are meant to be the city on the hill. You are meant to shine bright, leading people to one place. There's this place, oh, so good. But I want you to know we're going to live right now in a way that shines that. We're going to be people that are fellow members of his household. And when you are a member of the household, you take refuge there. You contribute there. You are part of that house. And when something's broken in the house, you help to fix it in the house. Jesus being 
the chief cornerstone. It says it's built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, but yet Jesus is the chief cornerstone in that building. I don't know much, but all I know is in big, large stone building structures, there is a cornerstone that is precisely cut. Like, it is perfect. It is the most perfect piece of stone they put because everything then builds off of that. If that thing is crooked or off in any way, the rest of the building gets wonky, right? But if that is perfect, it can be built right off the perfect, which is why we always go back to Jesus. We don't go through a bunch of people to get to Jesus. We have access to him. God set it up so that you have access to him. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through your mom. You don't have to go through a nice guy you met. You go to Jesus directly. He's given access to him. That's the difference between Christianity and everything else. The access point is to him directly, not through another man or another woman. Isn't that beautiful? He's the cornerstone. I'm gonna invite the band on up. The last piece I just wanna share with you on this passage, going back to that verse 22. It says, in him, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, I read that this past week, and I was thinking to myself, have I seen that anywhere else? And I researched it, and that phrase, being built together, is actually one word in the Greek. And that Greek word is only occurs one time in the entire New Testament. But it's, this, it's a word that describes being built together. And it's saying it in context of being built together into a dwelling place for God. So let's go back to the question. We're saying the church, it is not the building we think of. It is a building, but in a different sense. It is a building that is being built, a.k.a. the people, the called out ones, the assembly. When the people are together, then his spirit is able to dwell. The day of Pentecost, I just shared earlier, the spirit of God came on individuals and was present amongst the people. Here we are 2,000 years later. The spirit of God comes on individuals and is yet present amongst the people. But what attracts the Spirit of God? Like, what attracts the Spirit to come? Well, let's just go back to what happened in the book of Acts. What attracted the Spirit of God to come? Why then? Why not when they were just eating breakfast? Right? Like, why did he come then? Why did the Spirit of God come then? Because it was a gathered people worshiping God extolling him, praying. They were saying, yes, Lord. And then the Spirit came. Do you know what attracts the Spirit of God? It's when the people of God are acknowledging God. It's when we are giving him praise. It's when we are giving him honor. It's when we are humbly submitted to him. That's what attracts the Spirit of God. It's humility. It's hunger. It's the praise. That's, it's like a magnet. Boom. He comes when that's there. So that's where we're going to end today. We're going to stand up. We're going to worship him. I'm actually not going to have you pray, to, pray over anybody or do anything else. We just want to worship God right now. We're going to sing this song, Living Stones, because I think it captures this heart, this idea of 
What does it look like to be a people built together? What's it like to be a place where God is honored, a holy priesthood, but every stone in the wall, in the building matters? And I want you to hear me say that today. There's the individual matters, but the individual must be connected back to the whole. And that we gather as a church because we want the Spirit of God to dwell with us, to be built together for a dwelling place for God. We want God to dwell in us, yes. We want him to be amongst us. So I just want you to pray with me right now. And we're just gonna invite the Spirit of God to come and be in our midst. Holy Spirit, we invite you just as 2,000 years ago, you showed up, you were present. Spirit of God, we pray right now. Come in this place, fill this room. Let us extol your praises. Let us recognize who we are in you and let us give you all the praise and the glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.